0: Tonight, the liberal stranglehold on Atlantic Canada is broken as conservatives win in New Brunswick. Is it contagious? It's September 25th, and this is the Ezra LeVant Show. Why should others go to jail why? when you're a biggest carbon That's consumer i know there's 8,500 customers here and you won't give them an answer you come here once a year with a sign and you feel morally oh, yeah. superior the only thing i have to say to the government about why i publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so i think it sort of sneaked up on me last night new brunswick progressive conservative party beat the governing liberal party it was pretty close The Liberals won 21 seats and the Conservatives won 22 seats. But I think there's 49 seats in the whole legislature, so neither party won a majority. There are two minor parties that won seats. The Green Party moved up from one seat to three and a party I had never heard of before, to be candid. It's called the People's Alliance Party. Have you ever heard of them? They went from zero seats to three. And despite that somewhat socialist-sounding name, the People's Alliance they're actually to the right, to the Progressive Conservatives, if I'm reading their party platform correctly. So even if the Greens back the Liberals, that's 44 seats. If the People's Alliance backs the Tories, that's 45 seats by my math, so that's a slim majority. Now, the Liberals being naturally sore losers, and Brian Gallant, the Liberal Premier who just lost, being a lawyer... As many liberals are, they're looking to try some trick to hold on to the power. It's a move they picked up from another sore loser, Hillary Clinton, another lawyer who keeps petty-fogging that she won the popular vote, yada, yada, yada. Look, just concede defeat and keep your dignity, okay? I understand that constitutionally, Brian Gallant has the right to stay on as premier until he loses a vote of non-confidence, but seriously, why are you dragging it out, fella? Brian Gallant wasn't particularly successful when he was premier, when he had a majority. He stood pretty much quiet as a church mouse as Justin Trudeau destroyed the best economic hope for his po- province in a generation. Remember that $15.7 billion construction project? All private money, by the way, no government funds. It's called the Energy East Pipeline. would have taken oil from Alberta to New Brunswick, would have created thousands of construction jobs along the way, of course, and it would have brought Canadian ethical oil in from the oil sands to replace... New Brunswick imports of OPEC conflict oil that feed that big refinery in St. John. And it would have been an export pipeline too. Tankers from New Brunswick could have sailed with oil to India. For example, I, I was surprised to learn this. It's actually closer to sail from the Atlantic to India than to sail all the way across the Pacific, past China to India. Isn't that amazing? It's quicker from New Brunswick. So a huge opportunity. But Brian Gallant and his liberals just watched as Justin Trudeau and the more important liberals, like the mayor of uh, Montreal at the time, Denny Coderre, destroyed the Energy East pipeline. Gallant didn't say a peep about that. He didn't fight for his province. He put his liberal boss, Trudeau, and his deputy boss, uh, Denny Coderre, first. Uh, Only when the pipeline was canceled did he say, oh, yeah, um, I guess this is bad. Hey, guys, please come back. Yeah, they ain't never coming back, Brian, but it would have been nice to have heard from you before they left. So anyways, good riddance and good luck to the new team. But can I tell you what I think this election means for the rest of us? Now, take it with a grain of salt. As you know, I am not an expert in things New Brunswick. I've been in the province a couple of times, and as all of our Atlantic provinces are, it is chock full of the nicest people in the world. I highly recommend any Atlantic province uh, for vacation. Um, But when you go to New Brunswick in particular, you can't help but notice that it's a bit economically weak. Uh, It feels a little bit run down economically. Uh, I mean, other than the monopolist Irving family that owns much of the media there, owns that big OPEC-fueled oil refinery there, there's not a lot of economic action going on. It's not buzzing. People are leaving, especially young people who want to start families. New Brunswick was actually the only province in the last census to shrink because new industry just really isn't welcome there, not just the pipeline. Fracking is banned there too. I don't know if you remember a few years back when the Sierra Club whipped up rioters. They had a riot. Uh, they attacked fracking trucks. They, they torched five police cars. This is that sort of riot there. Uh, young people got the message, look, if you wanna have good work, move to Ontario, move to the West. So New Brunswick's population is shrinking. And those who remain behind it, well, they're the obvious, obviously, uh, senior citizens who aren't gonna move. Um, so New Brunswick's population is the oldest in the country. And look at this. Nominally, do you see that? New Brunswick has an unemployment rate of 8.3%. That's a jump of almost a, po- a point in the last month, by the way. But it doesn't sound that disastrous, right? But look at this other number. It's called the labor participation rate. It's just 61.3%. Now, compare that to, say, 64.2% in Ontario or 72.1% in Alberta, and that's a lot of numbers. But it means that, sure, 8.3% of New Brunswickers who are looking for work can't find work. But there are 10% fewer New Brunswickers even looking for work, even interested in work, than, say, in Alberta. They're just giving up, or they're retired, or they just don't care. So don't be surprised that I'm not with headlines like this. New Brunswick reveals $9.6 billion budget with 11th straight deficit. You, of course, not look all the young, working-age, tax-paying people who drive an economy. They're leaving. There's no pipelines allowed. There's no fracking allowed. Really, no more coal mines, no more forestry. So you can just hang around and watch everybody leave. It's fine if you're retired, I guess, or work for the government. It's poor there, at least by comparison to the rest of the country. Did you notice the third poorest province in territory measured by per capita? GDP its poorer than Newfoundland. So I sort of thought, okay, it's going to be liberal forever there, right? Maybe with a splash of NDP thrown in. I mean, we've seen the province, it's anti-development, anti-construction, anti-jobs, anti-oil, anti-gas, anti-forestry, anti-coal, just a bunch of retirees and bureaucrats. But no! And what's so interesting about the vote last night is not just that the liberal lock on Atlantic Canada has now been broken but that the old two-party system for so long dominant, in the Atlantic especially, is broken too. And not by the NDP this time. The NDP just got 5% of the vote last time. Not even one seed. So much for Jagmeet Singh uh, having coattails in any province. I know it's a different party provincially, but still, the NDP got crushed in New Brunswick. Their vote shrank from 13% last time down to five. A lot of that obviously went to the Greens, who grew in almost the opposite direction. They had 6% last time and they got 12% this time. But can I point out the most interesting result to me? It's this people's party business. 13% of the vote up from just 2% last time. Here's a party platform it's a little bit homemade uh, but I like that. It feels friendly and neighborly and authentic It's not too slick. They do have one video on their website that's sorta slick. Here take a look at it, it's 30 seconds.
1: Do you ever wonder why your taxes are so high? Successive governments have raised taxes year after year while also borrowing money and running huge deficits. Your hard-earned tax dollars are used to subsidize big corporate interests, pet political projects, and unnecessary dual services. The People's Alliance will take a different approach by abolishing the double tax and eliminating corporate welfare. We will also end duality, saving millions and bringing our cultures together. To find out how you can help, visit us at peoplesalliance.ca.
0: I like that, and did you get that not-so-subtle point at the end? They're against the bizarre New Brunswick conceit of having double everything as a form of affirmative action for the French-language minority. But it's friendly. It's not mean about it, is it? It talks about unifying the community, not having linguistic segregation. I really like that. That's a cultural message, isn't it? Not just a financial message. These guys came in third with 12.5% of the vote. By the way, if you add up the three smaller uh, parties, the People's Alliance, the Green Party and the NDP, you're getting about 32% of the vote, which is what the winning conservatives got. As in the old mold is broken, wouldn't you say? And I can't help but thinking, perhaps the, the name is so similar, maybe that's why, maybe Maxime Bernier's federal People's Party, isn't this a crazy idea after all if the People's Alliance Party did well in New Brunswick out of the blue? I mean, in fact, maybe people are getting sick of the Tweedledee and Tweedledum of the old line parties. And yes, I have to tell you, the Federal Conservative Party of Andrew Scheer is absolutely an establishment party, risk averse party these days, absolutely. I was involved with the Populist old Reform Party back in the day. That party is 100% dead, and so is much of the flavorful conservatism of it. I wonder if this New Brunswick result is a bit of a premonition, even though it's the smallest province that traditionally hasn't been conservative. Here are some lessons I think we can learn from New Brunswick. Again, I am not an expert on that lovely province, but maybe there are some simple things we can take away from this just with amateur observations. The first is, obviously... The Liberals aren't quite as strong as the media party suggests they are. I mean, first there was the Ontario election where Kathleen Wynne's Liberals, who had a ton of help from Trudeau's Liberals, they flew in their whole campaign team. They still got slaughtered by a very populist Conservative who didn't even really run so much on the party's name, Progressive Conservative. He ran on his own name, Ford Nation, as he calls it. And his motto was, For the people, he even had a campaign song, sort of folk song type, for the people it was called. Maybe there's something there, this populism, a bit of patriotism, a little bit of smaller government for sure, but that cultural meaning too that we saw in that People's Alliance ad. First, Ontario threw off the Liberals and the Liberal media. Now, New Brunswick has thrown off the Liberals and the Liberal media. I think Quebec could be next. The party that is ascendant in in Quebec is not the Liberals, and it's not the traditional rival to the Liberals for the past 40 years, the Parti Quebecois. It's a new party, the Coalition Avenir Quebec, CAQ, the CAC, which is to the right of the other parties, not just economically, but on those cultural issues too. They have the toughest position on burqas and Islam in Quebec society, and they don't care who calls them names. Look at this poll. You can see the CAC and the Liberals sort of duking it out in first place there. They're both at 30%. This is the latest uh, Ipsos poll. Um, The Parti Québécois is back at just 20%. Do you see that? There's no chance they're going to be government. And do you see that far left party that's climbing up that orange line there, Quebec Solidaire? That's basically a Marxist Muslim party. Their most famous leaders are Amir Qadir, uh, born in Iran. He's an anti-American and anti-Israel agitator. And this guy, Gabriel Nadeau-Dubois, the guy right in the middle there, the radical student protester, and that lady on the left just just yesterday declared the party communist. (laughs) They they call themselves communist people, and they're at 16% and climbing. My point is, I think um, the CAC might win, but my bigger point is people are obviously dissatisfied with the status quo parties. They're embracing the more passionate parties on the left and the right. In New Brunswick, 32% of the people did. Uh, n- not just the, the NDP Greens but the, uh, the NDP and the Liberals, but the Greens and the and the uh, People's Party. Here it's the CAC and the Solidaire and the parties in the Muslim Middle are fading away. If that new Ipsos poll in Quebec is right, more than 50% of Quebecers are going to a new or newish party. Again, maybe that Mad Max Bernier isn't so mad after all, eh? And maybe the legacy media is too enamored with the political legacy parties. Maybe they're just as hated as those old parties. I know they are. It's one of the reasons why more people watch us here at The Rebel, our teeny tiny little company, than watch the BS on CBC's The National. Any given night, we have more traffic than they do, even though we have less than 1% of the CBC's annual budget because people are done with the tired, old, self-interested elites, be they in media or politics, which these days is pretty much the same thing. Now, I mentioned that a big issue in Quebec is the open border with New York. These folks just walking right up. Uh, as you know, Justin Trudeau tweeted that the whole world is welcome to just walk across illegally into Canada, and only 1% of those who have walked across illegally have been deported. 99% of them are still here. That is so outrageous to so many Quebecers that even Andrew Shear, Blandrew Shear, who's too terrified to say anything about the quantity or the quality of immigration in Canada for fear of being called an Islamophobe, transphobe, you know, vegetarianophobe, phobe, even he filmed a very carefully worded campaign ad for a recent Quebec by election by going to the border. And wouldn't you know, the Conservatives won on the strength of that immigration issue. So that's a big deal in Quebec. Was it also part of the subject, part of the debate in, in New Brunswick, too? Now, we will never know, because if you have to rely on the New Brunswick media, it's, it's dominated by two companies. The Irving family owns half the media and half the province, and the CBC. So they, they don't cover stories. They cover up stories. That's my view. But you know, I mentioned how New Brunswick's population is shrinking, at least according to 2016 census. That was the uh, headline I showed you, but look at this. Justin Trudeau thought he would solve that shrinking population by putting his Syrian migrants in the province. No language skills, no job skills, no cultural skills, but hell, they'll take anyone, right? Just keep the Syrian migrants away from the fancy people in their fancy neighborhoods in Ottawa and Toronto, Vancouver and Edmonton. Dump them in New Brunswick. Did you see all those f- smile? Put that back up just for a second. Look at those smiling faces on that CBC story. Yeah, this is a happy story. What a great victory for everybody. You know, loving media from around the world actually came to New Brunswick to, to witness this little miracle on the Atlantic. Remember the Australian-based documentary film crew that came to visit this guy, and his family, the Rafia family, he just sort of sat there smoking and drinking coffee all day. Not working, not learning English, just griping. Now, things started going poorly pretty quickly for Mohammed Rafia. As you know, um, he was soon convicted of assaulting his poor wife with a hockey stick, beating her bloody for half an hour. And as he told the judge, well, you know, no one told him it was... It wasn't legal in Canada to beat your wife with a stick for half an hour. He actually told the court no one said that was wrong. No one ever told him. According to the Globe and Mail, New Brunswick has received the most of Trudeau's Syrians in the whole country as a proportion of the provincial population. Let me quote from the Globe and Mail. New Brunswick took in refugees at a rate far higher than its share of population, exceeding The numbers seen in more populous provinces such as nova scotia saskatchewan and manitoba well what could possibly go wrong there right well uh as you recall last year we reported to you what that looks like in real life when you dump syrian men and i mean men with full beards as old as 21 years old you dump them in a high school this is an access to information document Uh, we got from the high school, they were just whipping through them here, but basically it talks about 21-year-old men with full beards being placed in high schools with regular Fredericton teenage girls. I mean, what do you think is gonna happen there? Well, violence, threats of violence, sexual threats, male Syrian men disrespecting uncovered Canadian women teachers, entire sports being canceled because the Syrian men would beat up the New Brunswick teens, Syrian students openly rejoicing about foreign terrorist attacks in class. Those are not rumors. That was all documented in hundreds and more than a thousand pages of access to information reports that we obtained from the Fredericton School Board itself. You can see all of that elsewhere on our website. You can read the whole access to information bundle with your own eyes, but Not a single other New Brunswick media outlet or politician dared to cover the story, even though it was government documents. Other than there was a few uh, lame attempts by the CBC and some of the Irving media to spin for the school board. Here's an email from one reporter to the school board. I just want to read it. Hold up on the screen there. This is a reporter writing to the school board. About the story, but not to report on. I just want to read it. It says, I would like to lead with an off the record statement. I am personally offended by the attitude of this rebel media report. It's demonizing, misunderstanding, and disrespectful to say the least, and it has xenophobic undertones that feel personally pointed. Now, on the record, the only thing that I find interesting about the report is the actual correspondence they get their hands on. I want to have the documents so I can accurately report on the issue. Got it. So you have come to your conclusion first, and then you want to get a copy of the documents second. And that's an off-the-record comment from a journalist to a school board defending their Syrian mess. Yeah. Now I wonder, I have no information, but I have a hunch, do you think the province being turned into a bit of a refugee camp by Justin Trudeau, do you think that had anything to do with the election result last night in New Brunswick where the liberals lost? I have no clue! Because you can't get the news out of New Brunswick. It's two companies. Basically the government and the, the permanent government. The Irving family. Look, I don't know. If you're in New Brunswick, let me know what you think. I know I'm not going to learn anything from the legacy media or the legacy politicians here. You know, there is an enormous effort after Donald Trump's victory to attack anything populist, anything alternative, anything dissatisfied. Alternative opinions are stamped out. Alternative spokesmen are slandered. Maxime Bernier had that happen to him on Sunday. On the CBC, they implied that he was a foreign-funded stooge for the Koch brothers, and they even implied that he was associated with white supremacists. They actually smeared us at the rebel that way. You know, I, I don't think it's working, though. It I didn't stop Trump. It didn't stop Doug Ford in Ontario. I don't think it's gonna stop Jason Kenney in Alberta. I don't think it's gonna work in Quebec. It, it didn't work in New Brunswick. Maybe one day our establishment politicians will listen to the people. Maybe one day our establishment journalists will report honestly to the people instead of scolding us all the time, or not. And they'll all find that the people have simply gone elsewhere, whether it's to the People's Alliance Party or to the rebel. That's my working theory coming out of New Brunswick last night. What do you think? Let me know. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Hey, welcome back. Well, i got to tell you one thing about rebel contributors. They like to write books, political books. And I am delighted to tell you that Kurt Schlichter, the host of Take That, has a new (laughs) book out. And let's put it up on the screen, and we're going to talk to him in a minute. The book is called Militant Normals, How Regular Americans are Rebelling Against the Elite to Regain Our Democracy. And joining us now via Skype from the beautiful Los Angeles area is Kurt Schlichter. Kurt, congratulations on the new book. Thanks Ezra. I really appreciate it. It's uh, gotten a nice reception. People
1: are saying nice things about it. It kind of it kind of scares
0: me. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not your first book. We've talked about some of the others. You you did sort of a uh, a historical fiction on what happens if the left were to conquer America. This I mean, let me just ask you about the title Militant Normals. That's that sounds sort of like jumbo shrimp or something. It sounds like a contradiction <laughs> in terms. I mean, if someone's normal, are they militant? So tell me a bit more about your thinking there. I want to wrap my mind around it. Well, you know, normals are, normal people
1: usually aren't militant. Normal people are the people who just want to live their lives. They're the people who built this country, who feed this country, fuel this country, uh, defend this country. They're, they're the heart and soul of the country. And they don't want to do what you and I want to do all the time, which right. is be involved in politics. Right. I mean, I, I, I enjoy it. It's something I like. But you know, most of the people I see in my normal, uh, non-political life, they want to be with, the, you know, they're going out to do soccer with their kids. They're involved in their church. They've got their hobbies. You know, they're going hiking, whatever. Politics just isn't isn't everything to them, and they just want to live their lives trusting a, a, a the elite a certain class of people to go and run the institutions effectively and for their benefit to provide them security and prosperity. Except our elite has kind of broken its end of the deal.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it's funny you say that because uh, the idea of severely normal, I, I like the phrase severely normal. <laughs> and the uh, <laughs> I, I, <yeah, laughs> severely normal people, Roger, I, I, maybe I'll use your term militant normal. Normal people saying, you know what, enough of this. We saw it with Trump. Yes. We're seeing in parts of Europe. Um, we saw it last night in a Canadian province called uh, New Brunswick where a third, of the vo- a third of the voters voted for new parties that didn't even exist before. Um, it, you know, I, I think that it's not just an uprising against political elites, it, it's an uprising against the media elites too who do the shilling for the political elites. Would you agree with that? Well yes, the media elites
1: are part of uh, of the elite they're kind of their voice but you know this I, I hate to sound like a Marxist, but a lot of this Ezra is is about class and we have an elite that has distinguished itself uh, uh, from the normal Americans they're supposed to be you know working on behalf of uh, and and you you can you can see it look at look at Hollywood uh, 70 years ago you had movies like, It's a Wonderful Life, which celebrated normal people, normal values, uh, showed them as the repository of the values and the qualities that made our culture great. And and, and now you see
0: exactly the opposite. You mentioned Hollywood, and there was a time when war movies were patriotic, and and when Hollywood loved being supporting America, I even think of Irving Berlin, and and even when he would poke fun at the like, I hate to get up in the morning, you know. But he was part. I mean, he traveled, he entertained the troops, and I mean, it was that would be unthinkable today. I can only think of two pro military movies in the last decade. One of them, American Sniper, and yep. the other one which was sort of a crypto-supportive movie called 300. It wasn't even about America. Mm-hmm. It was about the Spartans. Other than that, I mean, for every pro-military, pro-America movie, there's, there's got to be a hundred blame America, America is evil, America is racist movies. Just, I mean, just that one example of anti-war, anti-military movies, it, it would shock the Hollywood of the 40s and 50s.
1: Well, look, in, in the Hollywood movies of the 40s and 50s didn't, you know, I guess some of them did, but, but they didn't all sugarcoat war. They weren't pro-war, but they understood that we were fighting an implacable, ruthless, evil enemy, uh, and we needed to be victorious. I don't think uh, the elite today accepts that. You know, the big, one of the big problems, Ezra, and we see it especially in Europe, but it's coming over here, is that the elite doesn't take its own side in the fight. You know, you look at radical Islam. Uh, you look at uh, its its manifested intention of imposing a cruel and barbaric caliphate. Now I, these aren't my words; these are these are what they say. And you see that the elite refuses to accept that simply because you you understand that that some radical Muslims are terrible people who want to harm you, who want to butcher and and enslave you d- does not make you anti-Islam. How I worked with uh, Muslim soldiers in Cozabon uh, and Muslim civilians. Uh, I, I was working on their behalf, so I, I don't feel I have to prove anything to anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but the simple fact that you refuse because of your weird cultural taboos to accept that anybody might hate you because of his version of that religion is, is ridiculous. They're, they're so caught up in their taboos. They're so caught up in their weird cultural memes. Like, you look at it in this Kavanaugh thing. Oh, well, you know, someone who's accused must prove his innocence. Where the hell did that come from? Because yeah. it's it's entirely absent in 800 years of uh, Anglo-American
0: jurisprudence. Yeah. You know, it's funny when you're talking about the, the elite's and how they would, I mean, how feminist activists or gay activists or, 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 or so many uh, libertarian or libertine activists would fare under radical Islam. I, it's sort of the reverse of the phrase, he doesn't practice what he preaches. These f- folks don't preach what they practice. They love the, the full liberty lifestyle, but they claim to be respectful and def- de- they, claim, they, they seek to defend a radical Islam that would destroy all the things that they personally enjoy. It's sort of weird that way. But let me ask you, does your book, besides identifying these problems, does it propose any solutions? Look, the the solution is the classic solution. That's to get militant. This isn't the
1: first time normal Americans have stood up and said, hey, elite, you're screwing up. It happened in the 60s where you had uh, uh, the the election of uh, Richard Nixon. Uh, by what they call the silent majority. Uh, Ten years later, you had the normal people uh, reject Jimmy Carter and elect Ronald Reagan. (laughs) You kind of had it with uh, Ross Perot. You had it with the Tea Party and the elite, you know, managed to kind of try and hold it back. But then, you know, you had it with Donald Trump. The this is a self-correcting dynamic. The elite needs to Do its job in return for the power and prestige it receives, needs to provide security and prosperity. When it doesn't do that, the normals get activated, they get militant. The thing is now, what's interesting now is the elite is fighting back not just to maintain its power, but because it ideologically hates normal people. It believes they are morally unworthy, intellectually inferior, a bunch of superstitious savages with Jesus and guns who need to be suppressed for the good of mankind. You have the elite actively fighting the normals for being normal rather than just trying to, you know, normally escape accountability for a depression or, a uh, you know, a
0: rising crime or something. So that's where we're different. The elite hates the normals. You know, I want to ask you a question about that because you're right. I think it is self-correcting and you point out some fairly recent historical examples of that. Um, but of course, the answer for the elites that does not want to be replaced is to replace the people. And I think if that's really what the mass migration open borders is all about. It's it is. don't it let is. the people replace you're, us. Let's, re- let's replace the voters. Yeah, you're right. And that's kind of a new
1: thing. And, and you know, pioneered in, in Europe. Uh, you know, Tony Blair, that uh, the Labor Party, that was that was their intent. We need a different set of voters because the ones we have uh, aren't submissive enough. And of course, they bring in people, you know, who who, who don't buy their ideology either, except they you know also behead people uh, in some cases, as we as we've seen here. They they are attempting to bring in, uh, you know, foreigners to replace Americans who have been uppity who have been uh, who who have demanded their rights as american citizens and you know americans are getting tired of it immigration is is one of several reasons Donald Trump won. Now, and, and, you know, when we talk about immigration, I just find the whole thing ridiculous when I get, you know, somebody like me gets called a racist or something. My wife's from Cuba. My wife is an immigrant. Her family came here because it was driven out by communist oppression. My, they came here. They served in our military. My wife kept my kid for 16 months while I went overseas to serve. Yeah, immigrants don't have to prove their patriotism. They do it every day uh, by how they live. But the, 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 the simple fact is there's two kinds of immigrants, legal and illegal. And of those, there's there's immigrants who want to be Americans and immigrants who want to be foreigners and sticking around here anyway.
0: Hmm. Well, let me ask you about one last thing, because, uh, you know, I, I think back about the elites of the past and you get to a certain level of power and I can imagine you start to think of yourself as godlike. I've seen interviews with George Soros where he acknowledges that he has a God complex and sometimes he thinks of himself as a God, he's so rich and so powerful. And the the, the tycoons of eras past, like the J.D. Rockefellers and the Andrew Carnegie's of the world, they were rich and powerful but none of them came close to the Mark Zuckerbergs and the Jeff Bezos of the world in terms of controlling what we know and what we think. The fact that you have a small handful of think-alikes in Silicon Valley, which is a fancy way of saying left-wing San Francisco, that even if J.D. Rockefeller's wealth proportionately was larger than Zuckerberg's, Zuckerberg and, and three or four guys at Google, et cetera, actually control our ideas and our perception of the world much more than Rockefeller did. How do militant normals solve a problem in a virtual high-tech world where it's all controlled by five guys?
1: Well, look, what we're, we're, we're talking about is different kinds of power. These guys have a certain kind of power. They use it promiscuously. They don't have the humility that a, a, a smart elite person has. A smart elite person doesn't draw attention to himself by, by exercising power, uh, uh, you know, shamelessly, right? You know, because that draws the other people, the people he's using it on to exercise their own kind of power. And, and their own power is it the ballot box. You know, t- Silicon Valley is going to uh, uh, misbehave itself into in regulation. It is going to get broken up by antitrust. There can't be any other way. You you can't have a situation uh, where a lot of the uh, you know Cruz shilling hack conservatives. Uh, you know, the never Trump type. So oh, we, we we can't possibly do anything about Silicon Valley because, you know, Milton Friedman. Uh, normal people are like, nah, I'm not going to let these guys uh, dump on me. I'm, I'm not. I, they've got their power. I've got mine and 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 mine's going to break them up. <laughs> and inevitably, I, I think these guys, you know, they got power too young. They're immature. They don't understand e- how to use it. They have an elite that doesn't have any kind of self-control or, uh, uh, you know, guidance mechanisms within itself to teach them how to properly be an elite. Mm-hmm. So they end up being bullies, and bullies eventually meet the wrong guy and get laid out on the ground.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting that the, all these powerful Silicon Valley titans are based in San Francisco as opposed to, let's say, like, Bo- I grew up there, Boise, <laughs> so, Idaho or something. I wonder yeah, if I, the... I, look, I,
1: <laughs> I, I grew up halfway between San Francisco and Silicon Valley, so mm-hmm. I, I get it and I get the people. And the problem is there's not enough people around there telling them, no, no, you, 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 you better not hmm. interfere in, you know, searches involving Republicans yeah. because the, the Republicans are eventually, you know, self-preservation is a, a powerful instinct, maybe the most powerful. Hmm. And if you think you can fight on only your terms and demand your enemy do the same,
0: well, the enemy gets a vote in this case, literally. Well, it's very interesting. I look forward to it. Now, when's your book coming out? It's, it's just a few days away. Am I right? It's
1: coming out on October 2nd. You can pre-order it now at Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, we, we've been talking pretty seriously here. The book is funny. Okay. The, the book has a lot of laughs. Uh, I take uh, I go after the never Trumpers and the Liberals very very hard in the way I do on uh, take that here on the rebel and the way I do at town hall uh, you might think of it as a uh, an extended form uh, uh, take that or an extended form town hall column so if you like those you're gonna like it. if you like my Twitter feed you're gonna like it I didn't want to write a Batan death March political science treatise though I, I you know I have it BA in political science. I wanted to write something that you could read and you could have fun and go, oh, well, that's that's an interesting idea. I see how it worked. It gives me a way to talk about this uh, that's you know clear and, and, and not confusing. And, and, you know, and it's fun.
0: Hmm. Well, I can hardly wait to see that. And uh, that's coming out, I guess, in just a few days. We'll let our rebel viewers know because they love to read books by our side because that's another industry that's dominated by the left is the book business and frankly sometimes it's even hard to to find a book in a bricks and mortar bookstore that's conservative so it's great that yours is on amazon kurt it's great to catch up with you and, and congratulations on the new book i look forward to tucking into it myself Thanks so much ezra i really appreciate it right on well there you have it folks that's kurt schlichter you'll know him from the rebel and he's the host of take that he writes for townhall.com, and his new book, we'll put it up on the screen here, and you can find a link to Amazon to order it below, is called Militant Normals, How Regular Americans Are Rebelling Against the Elite to Regain Our Democracy, and I'd say that probably applies to Canada and the United Kingdom, too, don't you think? Well, there you have it. Stay tuned. More ahead on The Rebel. Hey, welcome back on my monologue yesterday about the truth behind the Toronto Danforth shooting. Someone with a nickname Lone Stubble Jumper writes, I wonder if Hussein didn't get some weapons training when he was in Pakistan. I believe one of the police remarked at how deft he was with his pistol. It's an acquired skill through training and practice. Yes, thank you for reminding me of that. Um, the kind of shooting that was done, it's not shoot-em-up shooting gangster style. It wasn't shoot-em-up shooting, um, you know, video game style. It was cool, calm trained professional shooting, said various cops, and obviously it was deadly and it was accurate. It's an excellent point and I'm sorry I left that out of my report last night. Ron writes, Ever since this government has taken office, they've hidden crime facts where Muslims were involved. The Quebec mosque case, the Edmonton Mall pool molesting of six girls, suspect found innocent, the Edmonton terrorist that ran over the policeman, then stabbed him, ran away only to steal a truck and run over four more people. Not a Muslim terrorist incident. The truck that ran over many in Toronto, not Muslim related. The question everyone should be asking is, why is the Liberal Party of Canada office, our new Scotland Yard, they have no mandate to be interfering with the Canadian justice system? Boy, you've got a good, a lot of good points there. I recall that Edmonton attack. It was The guy had an ISIS flag in the car. Um, he had been interviewed by police before about his radicalism, and he has not been charged with terrorism. Not been charged with terrorism. You're exactly right. Why, is the, why are the police interfering, and the media and the police? Sir, so why are the politicians interfering, excuse me, in the media? And the poli- I'm sorry, in the, in the police work. It's, it's what Daniel Pipe says, the 5P professionals, the press, the politicians, the prosecutors, the police, the professors, they're all in on this. Uh, this isn't a conspiracy theory, by the way. I, we have the entire ITO, information to obtain a search warrant. It's on our website. You read it with your own eyes. That's not a conspiracy theory. That is a police document. Check it out for yourself. On my interview with Laura Lynn Thompson, Liza writes, I hope that they can find out something about that person in the hijab who threw coffee on Laura Lynn Thompson. We cannot put up with that kind of aggression in our country. Well, yeah, I mean, I've watched, I've watched that short clip so many times, and I, you can't see the face, can you? I don't even know if it's a woman. I don't know if it's a Muslim woman. I'm curious, though, aren't you? It's a Syrian vigil. Lorraine Thompson and the Chinese Canadian community were criticizing Trudeau's Syrian refugees. And someone in a hijab throws hot coffee in Lorraine's face. I'm extremely curious who that person is, but no one else seems to be. Not the Vancouver Sun, not the CBC, not the National Post, really? Nobody. The police claim to be investigating. Yeah, maybe, maybe. We'll give them a chance to do their work. But I know if the shoe was on the other foot, it would be leading the news. Do you even trust the news anymore, though? After, after their coverage of the Faisal Same mass shooting and the other things that our earlier letter writer says, I, I don't. Well, that's our show for today. Until tomorrow, on behalf of Rebel... World headquarters, that's what we are. I'm actually going back to London uh, this week for Tommy Robinson's new trial. I'll tell you about that a little bit more later. On behalf of us to you, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.